0: What most people who deny evolution, deny the age of the earth, what most people who deny those things know about evolution, or the age of the earth, comes from anti-evolution sources. And so as a result, there is a, a tremendous amount of misconceptions regarding uh, origins, both uh, biological evolution and the age of the earth. And I think if you have always been told that evolution is equivalent to atheism, mm. you were not motivated to do any, any further study on your own. And so as a result, you have, all of your information uh, about these sciences comes from resources that from the outset are in denial about any science evidence regarding uh, origins, the age of the earth, the age of the universe, uh, biological evolution. And so I I think that it's just a matter of um, where you get your information. If you only get your information about evolution from young earth creationist resources, you know. That's where you're going to land. You're going to doubt the science. You're going to think scientists are lying to you because of an atheist agenda. I'm way too young
1: to be this old. So many songs still left unsung. Stories remain untold. But summer's coming on and the wind is cold. Hello there, everyone. How are you? I'm Seth. This is the Can I Say This at Church podcast. Thank you so much for downloading today's episodes and any of the other ones that you did. Before this episode gets going, I wanted to have a moment of honesty with you all. Last year, I, what's the word, played with or tried or toyed with uh, having like in episode advertisements on the podcast and um i will say while financially successful i found them annoying and i'm certain that you did too and so that's going away i just wanted to let everybody know that before we got going and uh i also wanted to i guess apologize for that now there are a couple reasons that they could go away for one, a few people lately, uh, extra people, have joined in on Patreon. Um, it's not enough to fit the difference, and um, this show still <laughs> continues to make no money. It's a free podcast for everybody, but I'm still going to continue to do it, because I like doing it. If you're able, though, pitch in and help. Find those links everywhere. I also want to be a little more upfront about some of the resources that are from the show that exist. so every single episode is transcribed, and if you're listening... And you didn't know that. I wanted to make sure that you did. So you're just going to click right on the website. And um, you'll find those transcripts. I have found them extremely helpful and useful. But more so, when I'm doing them, I, I listen with way more intention uh, than one would normally do. So with that said, I wanted to welcome Janet Kellogg Ray. She wrote a book that the title gripped me. It's called Baby Dinosaurs on the Ark. And there's a question mark there. Reminds me a little bit of like Will Ferrell I'm Ron Burgundy. You know, uh, Now it's a book about science and faith and kind of her journey around, you know, just coming to grips with living in the modern world, but having a faith rooted in an ancient one. And I love this conversation. I like what Janet's doing. And more importantly, um, I think that she's right. Um, I think that... The way that we approach science really matters and especially towards the tail end there of our conversation, last 10, 12 minutes, and she is humming on some things that I think impact every single one of us. So with that said, let's rock and roll. Dr. Janet Ray. Welcome to the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Um, I'm going to edit out the earlier one, but I'll leave this one in. I am rusty at this. See, hold on one second. What do you need, my child? I, need <laughs> I can't help you right now. I
0: just need you to push
1: it on. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Please. You need me to push what on?
0: Dad needs to clip on to the thing. I mean. my child. It's
1: hard. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to push this on. I, I it appears as though it is on.
0: I just heard the snap. You did it.
1: Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all you right. Never done that. Now seven, I have. Eight. Now I have. He's building a. Um, his grandfather two years ago for Christmas got him a big RC car, like one of those ones that's four wheel drive that drives like seventy mile an hour. Yes. And it's yeah. mostly plastic. And so when it flips, it breaks. So he, this year, got him pieces of like aluminum chassis and different uh, shocks. So he's literally rebuilding the car into metal. Anyway, doesn't matter. Here we go. Let's try this again. Welcome to the show. One of the questions that I ask people often is uh, it's just a good primer for for me to kind of wrap my head around what you and who you are. So when people explain or ask you, you know, Janet, what are you? Who are you? Kind of why are you? What do you say to that?
0: Well, I would say that I grew up in a very uh, close family. Church was a central, if not the central part of our life, of my growing up life. I we were very active. We went to church three times a week, rain or shine. And every single night, if we had a gospel meeting and I would say probably the most scarring thing about that childhood was in the days before on demand, I never saw the wizard of Oz until I was an adult because the wizard of Oz always broadcast on Sunday night. Hmm. And unless we were sick, we were in church on Sunday night, but, um, I had a, a wonderful upbringing, a close-knit family, a close-knit church. Um, but when it comes to science, uh, my family or my church or my youth group would have no more have discussed or debated evolution than we would have discussed or debated the existence of Jesus. Right. It just was a non-issue. And so as far as science is concerned, I really didn't have... Any questions about where modern science fits into the Bible? Until I uh, probably reached about middle school, Uh, was the first real introduction I had had to some serious biological science. Mm. And through middle school and high school, I began to have some disconnect between what I was hearing at church regarding origins and what I was learning through biology uh, uh, regarding origins. But I managed just to kind of wall it off in my mind and and, and conveniently not think about it. You know, at best, I might have said, well, you know, can we squint one eye and, and look really, you know, far away and, and try to make the fossil record fit the genesis days of creation. And that's about as um, as deep into trying to, to sort it all out as I got. Uh, when I went to a Christian University, I got a great undergraduate biology education, but we conveniently ignored the topic of evolution or where modern science fit into all of this. Mm-hmm. Now, now, we weren't told that evolution was a lie or anything like that. We were told, here it is in the textbook. You need to know about it. Read it on your own time. And, you know, that was it. And so I went on. I got, I got graduate degrees uh, in education, but both degrees, my master's and my PhD, were focused on uh, science education And when my kids were little, I began to uh, read and research more on my own uh, regarding modern science and the Genesis account of origins. And it it kind of coincided with uh, two professors at my Christian university who got in a lot of hot water uh, because they had begun teaching evolution overtly. In their classrooms, and one particular was a, a beloved professor of mine. I taught labs for him, and this man lost his career. Huh. Lost his career. He was a, he was broken uh, because alumni came after his job for the, the the sin of teaching evolution to these little Christian students in a Christian university. Yeah, and so that really was the motivation for me. You know, 20, 25 years ago, to really begin uh, researching, reading, going to, you know, original sources on my own. Um, so, to, to try to find out what was behind all of this this, this, t- this subject that I was teaching. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that grasp of evolutionary biology.
1: So, you saw alumni at either, I don't know which university, it's either AC, you went to Abilene Christian and oh, Hardin Simmons, correct? Yeah. Um, I thought you went to Hardin Simmons as well, or maybe not. No. Oh, my master's. Ah, Yeah. I visited both those schools and then went to neither. I went to Liberty. Um, but, but yeah, visited both. So you saw people lambasting your professor and decided I'd like to do that for a living. Come at me. (laughs) Absolutely. Come at me. (laughs) I am a bit of contrarian to my nature. (laughs) She said, game on, let's go. Um, so a question that I, that has nothing to do with your book, but, um, it matters to me, uh, especially because most people don't understand um, where I'm coming from. But I think that you will. And so the way that I read the Bible, there is really only one correct answer to uh, In-N-Out Burger or burger. And, and only a Texan can answer this question. And so I just I would just like to know, get kind of your take on that.
0: On In-N-Out or burger? Correct. Yeah. Well, first, you have to I have to tell you that you're asking that question of a vegetarian. So
1: culturally answer them
0: <laughs> culturally, uh, but I will tell you, I like hamburgers without the meat on them. So if I had the choice of those two, hands down, it's water They have better fries.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. It's, it's been a running gag. I think since the first year of the show, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's been fun. Um, so no, so the, so you're at North Texas. Now you've written a book baby dinosaurs on the ark, and then we don't know each other well, Janet, but I'm a big fan of sarcasm. And um, so I just would like to start with a stupid question that my children asked, because this book has been on my counter, to the table, to my bedside. As I read it, it follows me around. It's been in my car, you know. Yeah. My six-year-old said, how many? How many baby dinosaurs are on the ark? Because at a six-year-old level, they're talking about the ark at church, right? And so her question keeps being, how many? And I promised her that I would ask. So how many baby dinosaurs on the ark? Now I also want to be clear, I've read the entire book, so I'm aware of the answer. But for her, what would you say to that?
0: What would I say to to your to your daughter? Yeah. How many? How many? Well, I would have to say zero.
1: <laughs> zero baby dinosaurs
0: on the ark. Sixty-five. 65- Sixty-five million years separate the last dinosaur from the first human, yeah. and so it would be impossible for a boat builder named Noah to put any dinosaurs on his ark.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. No, she's enjoyed looking at these pictures. She's also ins- insinuated that she did also ask, "Why are there elephants with this dinosaur?" Those are her words. Like why? To which, yeah, smart girl. Yeah. She's, she's clever. Um, okay. No, but for real, real question. So this book tries to tackle science in a way that I don't require a PhD to read it, which is great. Cause I'm good at a few things. I don't know that science is on those. I kind of trust my, uh, the people in my life that are, that are, that's what they do to tell me science. And so what, how do I want to say this? As a Christian growing up in Texas, I totally get what you were saying earlier about your upbringing, being at church three days a week, et cetera, et cetera. Where do you feel like the disconnect is between young earth creationism, which is pretty much the underarching the foundation of this text, and the world in general? Like, where is that disconnect? How did we get there?
0: Well, that's a great question. And I think the, the bottom line is that what most people who deny evolution, deny the age of the earth, what most people who deny those things know about evolution, or the age of the earth, comes from anti-evolution sources. And so, as a result, there is a, a tremendous amount of misconceptions regarding uh, origins, both uh, biological evolution and the age of the earth. And I think if you have always been told that evolution is equivalent to atheism, mm. you were not motivated to do any, any further study on your own. And so as a result, you all of your information uh, about these sciences comes from resources that from the outset are in denial about any science evidence regarding uh, origins, the age of the earth, the age of the universe, uh, biological evolution. And so I I think that it's just a matter of um, where you get your information. If you only get your information about evolution from young earth creationist resources, you know, that's where you're going to land. You're going to doubt the science. You're going to think scientists are lying to you because of an atheist agenda. Mm. You know, and how often have, have we seen that in connection with the study of evolution through young earth or even old earth creationist eyes is that there is an atheistic agenda. Uh, to remove God, in this case, you know, from your child's education by teaching them evolution. Yeah. So I, I think a big problem, and probably the root of the problem, is that what most evolution deniers know about evolution comes from anti-evolution resources. Mm.
1: So the question that I've had as I've read through your book is, Now, I am not a young earth creationist, though I used to be. Um, I don't read Genesis that way it's, I don't know how you could read it that way if, if you've read it uh, intentionally um, or literally in the way that Pete Enns would say, you know, reading, reading a Bible mm-hmm. literally. So there are often though scientific bases uh, or scientific agendas in scientific research or, or publications. I'm thinking specifically of like lead and gasoline, tobacco research, you know, where people are paying for disinformation effectively. With that in mind, how does a Christian that believes the way that you and I believe have a conversation with someone wrapped up in cognitive bias about what they've been taught about young earth creationism in a way that they just don't get further entrenched. And we just don't, don't both leave entirely frustrated because I don't find that as helpful. Um, do I do find the underlying belief in young earth creationism and that type of reading of biblical text or, or scripture period, regardless of the religion to be really, dangerous when it comes to things like can, my wife is a cancer cancer pediatrics nurse like those doctors say the same thing about like you know other science and and so it's it's weird when you can believe one thing and not believe the other you know disregard one and not disregard the other so how does one have a conversation in a fruitful way to begin to try to come to an understanding of it's it's much bigger than these 3 chapters in Genesis would have you believe
0: okay so is your question then you know how do we if science is always changing, then? No, science-
1: no. My question is, so I'm having a conversation. I'm, I read your book. I buy the book. I read the book. And mm-hmm. I start to begin having conversations with maybe people that I'm in church with or maybe my family.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're like,
1: yeah, that's not what it says. And people just get so cognitive biasly dug into their viewpoint and where it, it's got to be this way outside of that the world is following. So how does someone that has a differing view of what the foundations of the earth are, the 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 creation order of the universe, et cetera. How do we begin to have conversations with one another when there's not that underlying foundation of of commonality between the two of us?
0: Well, you know, you hit on a couple of of things there. You know, and and to, to address that with someone who just, you know, is saying, you know, my loyalty is to God, my loyalty is to the Bible, and if the Bible says this, if there's a conflict with science, I'm always going to go with the Bible. You know, that, that that's what a person of faith would do, you know. And then, you know, I might just, you know, approach that, you know, by saying, then you know, what is the cost? What is the cost to denying things that are demonstrable, that are observable? You know, so many things about um, our religion, our faith, require faith. That's why we're called people of faith. Um The things that are most important in my life are things that I believe. I believe my family loves me. I believe uh, in the resurrection, in the incarnation. But I cannot prove these things or demonstrate these things using the scientific method. They aren't subject to the scientific method. doesn't mean they're not important. So with that in mind, how are Christians credible? in things that require faith, if we deny uh, evidence in black and white, Mm. you know, deny scientific evidence in black and white, you know, there's a cost to that. And more and more, you know, the research tells us the surveys um, and the polls tell us that if people are given a choice between science and faith, more and more they're choosing science. They're not choosing their faith in ignoring their science. They're going the other direction. They're uh, uh, choosing science and dropping uh, and dropping their faith. And so, I would also say that there is a disconnect. If you, like you said, your wife works with uh, pediatric cancer patients, mm-hmm. and right now. Uh, medicine, as modern medicine, as far as diagnoses and treatment of cancer is progressing by leaps and bounds because of our knowledge of modern genetics. Once the human genome was mapped uh, about two decades ago and the work we've done since then, uh, cancer research, cancer treatment has really progressed. But what a lot of people don't understand is that the exact same science that is saving lives with new treatments, with new ways of approaching cancers, is the exact science that tells us that all life is related, that we share common ancestry, that it's not different genetics, it's the exact same genetics, that we praise God when it saves our lives, But that same science, when it says that we've evolved and share common ancestry, we say it's a lie. It can't be both things. It can't be true in one instance and a lie in the other instance. And so there is just some intellectual um, dishonesty, I think, that we have to face if we are going to say, no, I'm going to take a literal Genesis above, above all else because the Bible is the word of God. And that's what
1: it says. Yeah. Yeah. What do we do with the creation story then? And stories like Noah, if we're going to look at them not in a literal way, in the way that I think people are hearing you say literal, the way that I was raised to, to you know, six literal 24 hour days, because of course the Gregorian calendar existed for the ancient that's, Near East. So of course that that's happened. True. So what do we do with the creation stories that we were raised with?
0: Well, you know, for people of my generation, uh, the scriptures that are burned into our hard drive come from the King James Version. And there was a verse that I can probably quote, I may botch it here now, uh, from the King James from my uh, from my growing up years uh, that talked about what you do with scripture. And it went something like, study to show yourself approved to God, Um, a workman that shouldn't be ashamed, and the end of that scripture was rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, we always kind of interpreted that growing up as you got to be right. You know, you study your Bible so you know that you're right. It was more of of an approach to prove yourself correct and somebody else wrong. But in reality, that phrase there that, that's, that is interpreted or translated in the King James as rightly dividing the word of truth is probably better uh, translated as correctly explains. Huh. Correctly explains. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it, but it does help us to understand what we should be doing when we read these creation stories in the Bible and, and the flood story in the Bible. And so in order to creatively, cre- in order to, to correctly understand what's going on in these stories, uh, we need to do, as Pete always says, we need to approach the Bible with ancient eyes. It's an ancient book, and so we have to approach it using ancient eyes, And understand that the Bible didn't just fall out of the sky made of a whole cloth. And even within the the Bible itself, there's a world of difference between these very ancient, you know, Iron Age stories that we read about in Genesis. And then in the Testament, we read uh, accounts from a Greco-Roman world. And There's a huge amount of difference in how we read these two stories, how each of these two parts of the Bible approach uh, genealogies, for example, historical events, for example. You know, the New Testament is uh, quite often very specific about what uh, kings were on the throne, what Caesars were there, what governors were there. And so we don't see that kind of thing in the early chapters Genesis. So that should tell us that history is being approached in two very different ways. And in order to correctly explain or to correctly understand what we're reading in Genesis regarding the creation accounts and the Noah story, we need to look at these accounts through very ancient eyes and see what is going on in these stories in light of the culture, the history, the time, the language from whence they arose.
1: Wait for it, keep the lamp lit, in troubled times it's hard to see, Only we can stand up the mystery, steady in the face of strong adversity, seven times have fallen down. Hey, time's to get up off the ground failure is not the falling but it's the staying down when you said the bible dropping down as one huge cloth i started laughing i don't know if you saw me or not because all i could see is just some huge ribbon falling down somebody picking it up and going ah yes uh, Yet, this is it final, thank oh yes. yeah i get it now Excellent. All the answers right here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Noah story, I, I wanted to zone in there. So um, okay. uh, you've got a chapter called It's Raining, It's Pouring, The Canyon is Pouring. Uh, for, uh, the can- yeah, the, the Canyon is Forming. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, it's too early in the morning for rhymes. Um, so what do we do with a story like that when presented with new um, new? History. It's like the epic of gilgamesh which you talk about a bit in your book uh you've also got in here that there was um who was it george smith no that's it yeah george smith because outside of ken ham and kentucky that's the only arc that i'm familiar with you know that 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 is a, is a real thing, although it flooded not too long ago. I don't know if you read that in the news or not. That was hilarious. No, um, I did not see yeah, that. It yeah, it, when there was all the flooding, which is not hilarious, yeah. a few years ago, uh, the arc there literally was not able to, like, it was it was flooding. It just, the narrative, the optics from, from afar was just hilarious uh, to me. It
0: is inescapable. Yeah. yeah, so
1: what do you think the purpose of a story like the Noah story is, how do you read that story in light of things like Gilgamesh and that type of stuff? Other, other epics of around the same time period in the same region of the world. Like, What purpose is that serving for us as Christians?
0: Well, I write a bit about this in the book, but um, we do have evidence, uh, scientific, geological evidence, that there was a catastrophic flood in the area of the Mediterranean, and the Black Sea somewhere around 7,500 years ago. So pretty ancient history. And uh, from the evidence that we have, this flood was devastating and probably completely just annihilated any uh, farm, farms or farmland that would have been uh, around the perimeter of the Black Sea. And so for people living in that time, it probably felt like the world was coming to an end and so you know we have no way of knowing there's no way of knowing scientifically if this particular flood that we have evidence for in the in the fossil record in the geologic record we have no way of knowing if this flood was the motivation for the noah story or any of the other many flood stories that come out of the same geographical era area. There are flood stories from all around the, the ancient near Middle East, uh, including Israel. In fact, as I mentioned in the book, the stories that come from outside Israel are actually older than the Genesis story. Mm. And so it's not surprising, that if there was a devastating flood long ago in this part of the world, that there would be in the collective memories of these cultures some sort of flood story. Now, each of these flood stories tells the story in slightly different way. For example, some of the, the stories outside of Genesis attribute things to multiple gods, that the gods were annoyed with humans because the humans were making too much noise Hmm. and the humans weren't serving the gods the way they should. Uh, But still, you still see the same uh, details. You see animals being brought aboard, a big boat. You see a man and his family. You see birds being sent out. All of these in stories outside the Genesis account. Uh, in the Genesis account, you have a different picture of God. You don't have a God that's annoyed with humans for a trivial reason. You have a God who is disappointed in humans because of their uh, failure um, to live up to up to moral standards and, and failures uh, to to uh, not fall into evil ways. And so each of these cultures in this uh ancient Middle East have these flood stories with just a bit of a different twist on the meanings behind Mm. the flood story.
1: How then can we zoom that out? So one of the things that I like to say is that I worship a God that is expanding in love faster than the universe is expanding, which is the prettiest way that I can try to wrap my brain around God. So how do we scale up a view of scripture where we're not reading things so literal into when you and i are walking out walking with our kids looking at creation looking at what is here what exists how do we take new lenses and begin to reinterpret what we see on a daily basis and then use that to then read scripture in a much deeper way
0: i think we need as people of faith need to get past The idea that just because something has a natural explanation does not mean that anything is demeaned. So in other words, if we can explain how uh, creation came about, if we can explain, uh, for example, how God did it, this is not demeaning. We need to get past the idea that if the beautiful world that we see came about through billions of years, through natural processes, it does in no way mean that God was not the originator, the sustainer, the wisdom underlying it all, the logos underlying creation. Uh, It doesn't have to be a one-time miraculous event in order to be worthy of worship, in order to be worthy of praising God for. Um, I like to use the example of, of children. You know, many people will pray for the gift of a child. And when a child is born, the parents thank God for the miracle of this child's birth and the gift of this child. However, everyone realizes that it's a completely natural nine-month process, uh, embryological process, fertilization process, a natural process every single step of the way that brought that miracle about, that brought that gift about, that child about. And even before the nine-month embryological natural process, you have... Biosis, the formation of gametes. And we could go trace it further and further back. The
1: formation it's of what? Called, uh, you said gam, gam, gam what?
0: gametes. The formation of egg and sperm.
1: That's called a and, gamete? And I that need that to go back to school. About, okay.
0: Right. To, to, bring, <laughs> to bring together yeah. the, uh, the genetics between mother and father. It's completely a natural process. Hmm. Yet we still thank God for the gift of a child. So I think as people of faith... We need to get past the idea that just because something has a natural explanation, does not demean whatever it is we're explaining. You know, we we it, you grew up in Texas. You know, we quite often pray for rain in our church when it's dry and doesn't <laughs> rain for weeks and months on end. Years. And when it does <laughs> rain, we thank God for it. But no one thinks that the biblical explanation of rain and snow being held in literal storehouses, which God pours out upon the earth, is the way that nature, that rain occurs. We believe that rain is a natural occurrence uh, through the water cycle. And we don't think that that's demeaning of a rain, yeah. of, give, of God giving us rain.
1: Yeah, this has not got anything to do with your book, but you saying that reminds me of, I think it was Utah, Idaho, maybe Colorado's governor last year saying, we just need to pray for more rain. It'll fix it. While I was yelling at him, like, you realize that you set all these water tables in an overwhelmingly abundant period. So maybe you should just stop using so much of the Colorado River. has nothing to do with, with <laughs> what you're talking about. But I was like, what's wrong with you people? Stop praying and just adjust your anyway. Anyway, that's, that's a consumption mentality, not a- anyway, doesn't matter. Um, someone reads your book or, or other books like it, or they'll begin to listen to um, people like Francis Collins, who was born and lives not far from where I currently sit. Um, and it begins to rock their faith. What is one practice do you think um, that they could begin to center on to say it's it's going to be okay? This doesn't have to hurt. It's going to be a little, but it's a, it doesn't have to be the thing that, that makes me just jettison my faith because I was quote unquote lied to about this, which is, I'll put those words in my mouth, not in your mouth, but whatever. So, what is one practice do you think that people can begin to wrestle with? Because this happens a lot. Like um, at Christmas, I had a conversation with a friend about whether or not Mary was a virgin, which really is no different than the creation arguments. And uh, it's all about interpretation and translations of Scripture from... It doesn't matter. There are a lot of things like that in the Bible. And I've found that once you start doing one, you have new eyes to see. And then as you're reading more, you're like, wait, but oh no. And wait, but oh no. And, and just a constant level of Oh no. So what do you think would be a practice for people to say, hey, it's going to be okay. Try to focus on doing this. What would that be for you?
0: When I first began to study the science behind origins in, in earnest, you know, a few decades ago, one filter that was important to me and still is to this day, and I think would be um, totally invaluable to anyone beginning on this journey, and that is to understand that science and faith are not in conflict because they answer two different questions. And because they answer different questions, they cannot be in conflict. Uh, science. Answers questions of the how and the when. And faith answers questions of the who and the why. Mm. Science can never answer the question of who and why. Science doesn't attempt to answer questions of the who and the why. Science answers questions of the how and the when. But both questions, both category of questions are needed in our life. Both are important. In fact, if you were going to make a scale of what's most important in my life, it's going to be the who and the why. Those are the most important things in my life. But that doesn't mean that science cannot tell me about the how and the when. Mm. And I think that when you're starting to feel that disconnect, you're starting to feel that unwarring from this book, that if you were like me was told was every word infallible. Uh, The Bible says it, we believe it. Um, I grew up with where the Bible is silent, we are silent. Where the Bible speaks, we will speak. And to unmoor yourself from that, I think it's important to understand that your faith and science are answering two very different questions, both very needed questions but two different questions nonetheless.
1: I love that answer. That's I like that. I'm taking that. I'm, I'll try to remember to give you credit, but I'm stealing that. Um, I like that answer quite a bit. So two final questions, questions that I ask of everyone. So um, one is just to play on words of the name of the show. So what do you as an educator, as a person, as a human, uh, think that congregants in our church should be allowed to discuss without fear of getting thrown out or ostracized? And if not the decay of the church will just continue whatever version of its hospice care it's been in for the last few decades. What are some of those topics that you think should be there?
0: Well, first of all, I think we've got to make our churches a safe place to doubt. Uh, you know, I've heard it said, I think uh, Rachel Hill Evans was the first person I heard to quote this, but something along the lines that the opposite of, of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty, Mm. that if you're sure about something, then you no longer have faith. And so we've got to make our churches a safe place to ask questions. Um, You know, curiosity unfettered does not lead to to doubt. And I think that that is a fear of, of many in our churches especially uh, parents as they are raising teens that are beginning to question more and more um, th- some of the best conversations that I've had uh, have been since I since the book came out and even before that when I was writing uh, blogs on this topic where parents it's usually parents at church will, Come up and maybe quietly, you know, ask to talk to me later about their child and concerned about their child because the things that they um, are hearing in youth group, the things that they that they think they're being told in church, they find to be in conflict with what they know to be true from science, and they these parents are terrified, terrified that their children are going to lose their faith because of this disconnect. Uh, or even just the mere fact that they're asking questions, that right. they're doubting what they've been told. And so I think it, you know it goes beyond science. You know what we've been told about um, patriarchy, about uh, women um, traditionally have been holding in our churches. Um, we need to feel free to ask these questions and more than just ask them, have discussions, and more than just have discussions, I've had a lot of discussions, but not always with the deciders. Mm. Not always with the people in the church, in the churches where I uh, belong, are are making the decisions. You know, I can have lots of conversations at lunch, at night with my friends online, uh, but we need to maybe have these conversations uh, more openly. Yeah, and not be afraid. Uh, when people express their doubts, not be afraid when people express their questions Um, because curiosity is, it doesn't de facto lead to the death of someone's faith.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, I'd argue it makes it much, much, much richer. Um, Yeah. I read it on Facebook the other day or somewhere that you can only wrestle with something that you're close to, Um, which I relate with that a lot. Like I've never felt closer to God than when I'm wrestling with something that doesn't make any sense at all. When you try to say what God is and wrap words around whatever the heck that is, what do you say to that?
0: Ooh, I was asked this question one time um, in front of a large audience and I wasn't expecting it. And the question was very similar. It said, um, as a person of science who understands uh, that the universe came about through natural means. Why are you still a believer? Why God? Why are you personally still a Christian? And again, I don't have an answer that could be subject to the scientific method. It's all a matter of faith for me. But I would say the best answer I have to that is... Why is there something rather than nothing? I can't get past that age old question. Why is there something rather than nothing is my first answer. And my second answer is just simply the story of Jesus compels me. I can't, I can't turn away from it. And so because the story of Jesus keeps drawing me in, and I can't turn my back on that. And then the question of why is there something rather than nothing? I just keep um, I, I, I keep pressing forward with that. Again, I think it was Rachel Held Held Evans that said Christianity is something that I'm willing to be wrong about, huh. and I, I think that uh, very perfectly describes. Um, my approach to this. I've given up, you know, I gave up a couple of decades ago, and especially within the last 10 years, I gave up feeling like I had to have all of the answers. That was hard to let go of because that was my upbringing, was that we can know there's one way to do church, one way to be a Christian, one way to live a Christian life, And here are the rules. We can know. And I have learned that we don't have all the answers. (laughs) And what I have learned to be comfortable with is that tension, to live with that tension of not having all of the answers and to embrace the mystery of it. And that was also something that I wasn't brought up with, was that there was a mystery that could be embraced. Um, I had to get past that. If I just read the Bible enough and have enough faith, I'll lose all of these doubts. I'll find all the answers that I need. Um, I have more questions than ever, but I'm also more okay with it than yeah. ever. Okay with the mystery and okay with the questions. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, agree. 100%. 100%. Janet, we're. You-
0: more so than I was when I was feeling that intellectual dishonesty that I was having to um, make, for example, the science fit Genesis. In order to be loyal to my faith, I had to somehow force fit Mm -hmm. that science into Genesis somehow. And it, it didn't feel honest. It felt very intellectually dishonest. And that was not a good feeling that I liked to sit with at all.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, explaining Genesis to my son a few weeks ago on the way to church, he asked me, so he plays in the, he plays the drums for us in our little band that we have at church.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, he was asking me about creation and he told me something that someone at school had told him because that's, that's the gospel right there. Um, yep. you know, here in the Bible belt, I mean, you get it. It's just a different, yeah. I'm in a different notch, but we're still in the same yeah. belt. And, um, and he's like, well, this is what it says in Genesis. And I was like, interesting. Here's my phone, pull up the Bible, it's right there on the homepage. I don't care the translation. Just pick one and start at the beginning. Should be easy for you to find. No page numbers, just digital. And I was like, read it to me slowly. And so we broke it down verse by verse. And I was like, so that's interesting. Everything that you just told me is not in that one that you just read. Go forward a bit. Read this other one. He's like, oh, this is the one I know. I was like, yeah, you can't put the two together. I was like, I was like, now you didn't ask me, my little boy, but I'm going to tell you. This first one is about things that God makes out of chaos are good. The second one is about one of those good things, bearing his image and now making more good things. So it's not about how things got here. It's about what we do with the stuff now that it's here. And right. he just got real quiet. I don't know if that's the right answer, but it was the answer that I came up with that early in the morning. No, but
0: I think that's perfect because I, I think that it goes to the very heart of why people feel inco- uncomfortable with evolution when it comes to human beings. Mm. Uh, because it comes back to that, Um, role that we have as image bearers of God in the Mm -hmm. world and that somehow uh, we demand that um, in order to be an image bearer, we have to have been miraculously created out of the dust of the earth and padded together like Play-Doh and, you know, make a little human. And now somehow this human bears God's image. And again, who says? Who made the rules that a natural process is demeaning, and that a creature that came about through natural processes, ordained by God, cannot be God's image bearers? Mm. You know, I, you know, I, this this statement may um, concern some people, but I've asked it before. You know, does it really matter if we evolve to have five fingers or six? As long as as we are projecting God into the world, does it really matter what our physical body evolved to be? If we are fulfilling that role of the second chapter that you read with your son of being God's image bearers. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think the way I ended it with him is I can paint a story of scientifically how me and your mom made you. Or I can tell a story about how we fell in love and out of that love became you. I was like, exactly. and then you can do the same thing, you know. I was like, right. and that's all that really matters. What are you doing with what's been created? Now go make something. Call what? it good. So anyway, yeah. Um, where do you want people to go, Janet? Where, they, they listen to the convo. They're like, yeah, I should get the book. And I will also say for those listening, you should get the book. Um, it's very easy to read. Matter of fact, I've read some of it with my kids. And I'm going to leave it out so that they can read it because um, it's written in such a way that, yeah i think everybody can learn from it so where do you want people to go to do the things that they should be doing that you think that they should be doing as it relates to you and what you do what a horrible well, maybe, sentence that was what a horrible <laughs> sentence that
0: was. i i do have a blog at janetkray.com that i will i write on the blog but i probably keep up more with my author face facebook page or my personal facebook page I write a lot about uh, science and culture and modern medicine, and I love where those things all intersect. And so I write a lot actually just on Facebook because it's um, very accessible, but I also write at JanetKRay.com, um, you know, because we didn't, we didn't get into this, but what we're seeing during these last couple of years of pandemic is we are seeing the uh, fallout Of decades and decades of telling Christians they can't believe scientists, and we are seeing fallout from that in um, the the pandemic. So it's been very interesting. Yeah, it's been very interesting to me how uh, evolution denial and different different uh, areas of denial regarding the pandemic overlap. You know, yeah. you've got that Venn diagram right there yeah. of evolution deniers and vaccine deniers, pandemic uh, approach deniers. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot in common. Um, you know yeah. bottom line is Christians have been um, have been acclimated to scientists being um, liars, not telling them the truth. That yeah. They always have to approach science uh, through a biblical lens.
1: yeah, while they take their medicine. Trust well, a person to drill into their mouth with metal, um, Absolutely. let them pump chemo into their body, but then say, mm-hmm. you don't know what you're talking about anymore. No. Also, how many Tylenol do I take? I take three. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for letting me know what's safe. Yeah, it's just, uh, I just I just wish people would be consistent. Myself as well at times. So I don't know. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, I read your blog. Um, I, I really liked your uh, River Fever, I think, which is your last most recent post. Um, yeah, um, right. Yeah, which I didn't know that that's what ivermectin was for. Um, And then I was like, what is this thing? Oh, seems to be a a valid drug for good purpose, but not for this. Um, And I wish that it did work because it seems to be a lot cheaper. That would be amazing. It's too bad that it doesn't. But anyway.
0: No, ivermectin has a history with humans, but not for that purpose and um, not in those dosages.
1: Yeah, perfect. Well, Janet, thank you so much for your time. I have enjoyed it this morning, very much so.
0: Me too. Thank you for asking me.
1: It's been lots of fun. We're made for each other in the image of love. You and me made for each other in the image of love. Now, I haven't added it up, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of podcasts on the internet, and I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows. Not always in real time, but I do my best. And if you go back in the logs, you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like. The show is recorded and edited by me, but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show. That is one of the best, if not the best, way that you can support the show. If you get anything at all out of these episodes, if you think on them, or if you, you know, you're out and about and you tell your friends about it, or hey mom dad brother sister friend boss pastor here's what i heard what are your thoughts on that if this is helping you in any way and it is helping me consider supporting the show in that manner it is extremely inexpensive but collectively it is so very much helpful now for you i pray that you are blessed and you know that you're cherished and beloved we'll talk soon